Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. And I am very excited about today's podcast because I have a very intriguing guest here that has an incredible story. Um, and I'm so excited to get to know him and see, you know, what all he's got going on. But you, you guys, you guys got to hear a story. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, so with that, Ryan, how you doing, man? I am, well, really glad that, that we got the chance to talk. Uh, and just cause it's, we have a very niche, super niche thing in common has nothing to do with business. Um, and it's a really cool kind of empathy to have with someone of having a life experience so specific in common. Um, so just the fact of talking with someone that has that in common, I'm really happy we got the chance to have this combo. I, I agree. And, uh, you know, Let's start off with that. Why, I'm not going to uh, talk about it all. Why don't you tell people um, kind of what happened to you? Sure. So going back, it was August 30th, 2017, the sixth day of my senior year. I was 17 years old. Uh, I was dropping to school with my 15-year-old brother go, to go pick up a friend. And being a stupid teenager, I was speeding. The speed limit was 25 miles per hour. I was going 39. And long story short, we go around a turn and right as we go around a turn, there's a construction truck that's driving over the lane in the middle of the road. And if I was going the speed limit, I could have just hit the brakes, gave them a wave and we could have gone our separate ways. But because I was going way too fast, I realized, okay, if I hit the brakes, the car is going to scramble and there's a 99% chance it's going to be a head on collision, kill me, my brother and this, uh, this driver. So I decided to, take a chance and anything, any other chance besides 99% guaranteed death at that point seemed better to me. And so I turned to the right to avoid the truck. Um, and all this happened within a millisecond. It wasn't, you know, a very long calculated decision. It was almost instinctual. And we turned to the right, but to our right, there was no road. There was an 80 foot cliff and the car went off the cliff. We flipped six times going on the way down. Um, fortunately, Nothing physical happened to my brother, but he was conscious for the whole whole ride down. Um, but me, just sitting one foot away from him, I broke my neck, my back, my wrist, my elbow, my collarbone. I had a uh, traumatic brain injury, was in a coma for a week. And TBIs are kind of like fingerprints in the sense that each one is totally unique. It's everything from a, a concussion someone has playing American football to this, for example. And mine affected me in a very unique way, which was at least how my doctor explained it to me. Ryan, you got the dark matter in your brain, which is like the storage and the gray matter, which is like the cables interconnecting the storage. Your TBI is like someone taking all the cables and crunching them up and tearing them up. Um, so you'll get it back, but the wires are, are broken at the moment. And what happened to me was it was very difficult for me to remember things long-term. So I forgot a lot of things that we learn as kids. Um, some of which we may have in common. I forgot how to speak English, which was my first language, and I forgot how to walk. So I spent my, my senior year, last year of high school, 
trying to graduate, but of course, trying to learn how to speak English again and trying to learn how to walk again before graduating. I ended up graduating on time, um, but long story short, that's that's my story of what I think we may have something in common with. And this, so you got your uh, out of the hospital. You went back to school, and you tried to graduate. It was your senior year, correct? And uh, so, I mean, this is like pivotal point in development. This is like you're you're like you know, you're basically kind of at the peak of the development process in a human being, right? I mean that that fifteen to twenty five age frame is where a whole lot is ends up being solidified in us, right? And it uh, becomes a lot harder to change anything uh, after that point. What was your mindset when you came out of this? Like when you started to actually get out of the hospital and everything, uh, I mean, where where was your head at? What were you thinking at this young age? Great question. So the it took me about one one semester of being in the hospital, um, working in rehabilitation, physical therapy, speech therapy, meaning cognitive therapy, um, before I could actually get back to in, in class, like in-person class. Um, so it was homeschooling and all that kind of stuff. But I see the TBI as a blessing in disguise because if, if I were to ask you, hey, AJ, do you want to break almost every bone in your body right now? But you're going to get a lot of cool stuff out of it two years down the road, but you're going to have to go through a lot to get there. Odds are you probably say, you know what? I, I like my body to be okay. I like my bones intact, my brain functioning. I'll pass, but thanks for the offer. But for me, it was because it took away a lot of my long-term memory I had nothing to compare it to. So you know how you wake up every day and you are naturally comparing it to the previous day, what you're doing, all that kind of stuff. But for me, when I woke up from the coma, I, I thought I was on vacation. I didn't realize I was in a hospital. I didn't realize I, would have, I had a 25 pound halo, um, you know, neck and back cast, eight screws drilled into my skull. I didn't even notice that stuff because I had nothing to compare it to. And at that point, it was like, oh, I have nurses who I didn't know were nurses, but they're really nice people that were always talking to me, super nice with me, bringing me breakfast in bed. Like, is this a five-star hotel or what's going on here? And so that was my perspective at the time. I didn't get that this was something bad that was happening. So because of that, I just thought it was a vacation. It was going to be a week. I would be back to school after, and that would be it. So I think because of that perspective that I had, that this was just a temporary blip in, in life. And I just had to do the therapy, figure my stuff out and get out of the, what I thought was the vacation and, and go back to school. It really affected me in a positive way. And um, I'm proud to say that there was not a single time during about the year and a half it took me to recover that I complained. I did not complain, not once. Um, and really, I think you, you probably, learned a lot from your experience as well that you don't learn in normal education systems or whatever you would like to call it but 
um, life lessons. Like I was in therapy, um, the, the physical therapy one day, and my, my therapist came up to me and said, hey, Ryan, I, I don't know if you knew this, but your C7 vertebrae, the thick one at the base of your neck, if that was one more millimeter compressed, you'd be paralyzed from the neck down. So just like looking at life now, today, and seeing everything, knowing everything I have was one millimeter away from being bedridden in a, in a wheelchair for the rest of my entire life. And I did have to go in a wheelchair for a couple months, so I know what it's like. I'm sure I would have found a way, but just to appreciate the most basic things, the fact I can take a step, like that's a lot of things that before I would, didn't think anything of it, completely took it for granted. So my appreciation for everything is just on a completely different level because of that. And, you know, there's a lot more to unpack that I got from it, but to, to answer that question, that's, that's what I would say. How about you? Yeah, I think, you know, um, before we actually dive any deeper into this, let's frame this for, where are you now? So tell people what, where, what you're doing now, what you've done, after coming back, just so we can get perspective on your 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 whole thing here, right? So, um, talk to people about what you're doing and what you've done since then. Sure. So I'm in Madrid, Spain at the moment. I am working for a company um, which I love called Digital Prodigy with a double E. Um, fantastic team. We do a mobile application development and the marketing to actually get the users on the app. Um, I love who I'm talking to every day. It's entrepreneurs, it's coaches, it's people that are thinking at a really cool wavelength that I enjoy speaking with. Um, but the way I got here was working back from there. So after I recovered, I, <laughs> I woke up from the coma and like I told you, I forgot how to speak English. So my short-term memory compensated. And because I lived in, or not lived in, I was in Mexico for two months the summer before that, I woke up from the coma and I could only speak in Spanish. I could understand English just fine, but I could only speak, produce Spanish, which is really interesting because my parents have no idea how to speak Spanish. So the nurses would come in and be the translators and be like, start speaking to them in Spanish. And they'd be like, no, hablo eh, español. It was really funny. Um, but what that taught me and that experience from there was Okay, before that, I thought I wanted to be an engineer, an aerospace engineer, because that's what was supposed to make money, a good nine to five, you go to a good college, you get a good job, you're cozy, you're, you're gonna be okay, you get a good house, you get a wife, you get a car, you get kids, et cetera. The, the rat race, which I was not aware was the rat race at that point. And so spending time in the hospital, there's not a lot of fun things to do. So the way I entertained myself in the hospital was talking to all the nurses that were translators. So they were all from different Spanish-speaking countries, whether it was Costa Rica, Spain, um, Colombia, Mexico, like from everywhere, you know? And it was so interesting to just like for two minutes, take a deep dive into their culture, see what was normal, see how they got to the US, their story of how they got there. And I really enjoyed speaking with them. And that was when I realized when I had nothing, I wasn't thinking about building planes and that wasn't how I was entertaining myself. It was talking to people from different places in a different language, learning things about them and their life. And so I decided to take a gap year in Madrid because I did work as a cashier in, um, in California at a 
a cafeteria bakery place um, for about six months before or after I after senior year. And I realized, okay, there's a lot of Latinos here. I have a pretty good understanding of the culture of Latin America. Um, I'm being the translator between manager and the whole, um, you know, rest of the crew, the chefs, cleaners, bus boys. Um, and I thought, oh, I got to go to Madrid because that's a place where I can speak Spanish. I can go to Spain. I can communicate with people. I can talk to new people and travel for way cheaper to different countries. So I took that gap year, really got my Spanish down, really honed it in. Um, and there was a lot of free time. And so I was watching a lot of YouTubers. Um, after I had my Spanish class every day, I would come back and I would go to the gym, exercise, and then I would come back from the gym and I would watch YouTubers. And one of the ones that I stumbled upon was um, Graham Stephan, who you're probably very familiar with. And I was watching one of his videos and he mentioned, he recommended a book to read, which was The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And I was not a reader at that point. I didn't think anything of reading. Um, but when I got back from the gap year, that summer, I continued working as a cashier back home, already being accepted to university in, um, in Madrid for the following year and spent that summer working as a cashier. And I would work from it was 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then after I would go back home and I would um, just read. And I was reading that book and it really just got me thinking and, and learning about business, entrepreneurship, and all these kinds of things that I really was not aware of at 18 years old. Um, and funny enough, to go back to Spain, I had to get another student visa, which I don't know if you have experience getting visas, but it's just not not a fun experience, very slow, very groggy, very sticky, we'll call it, um, very bureaucratic. And I had done it once already and I was doing it again. And I was driving to, um, with my dad actually from the Bay Area to Sacramento to get the, what's called the Apostille Peg, which is like an international legal notary. Um, and I had just finished the four hour work week and I asked my dad, Hey dad, what do you think is a high income skill I have? And being 18, I didn't know anything. And I was thinking, oh, I speak Spanish, but not a lot of people or a lot of people do speak Spanish. So I don't think that's a quote unquote high income skill. And he said, well, you're getting your student visa for a second time and you're gonna be doing it a few more times after. I thought, oh my gosh, that's a great point. The average American that needs to get his his or her student visa from the US to go to Spain is only doing it for one semester to parties, you know, a few months over in Spain. But me, I was going to be doing it four times. And so that's when I decided to start my first company, uh, which was a student visa course company, because the consulate of uh, General of Spain will tell you all the documents you need to get your student visa, but they don't tell you how to get the documents. So you got to just be resourceful and figure it out, do a lot of Google searching. Um, and so I just built a course to actually help people do that. And I built a website and I built an Instagram page. And I completely thought um, if, if I build it, they will come. If we build it, they will come. That is not true. Uh, but it was a good lesson learned in you know, first phases of entrepreneurship that was like, okay, this is how it is. Okay, good to know. Um, 
And I came back to Madrid with that company, um, was working on it, was of course doing university at the same time, was, you could say distracted between running a business and figuring it out as well as first year of university at the same time. And I came upon another friend who was also a student entrepreneur who had a clothing business. And we were talking and we both said, yeah, you know what? I'm having the same problem. I want to make my business good, but I'm really distracted by the parties, the, the clubs, um, the, this typical university college life. And so we decided to get together and found what we called a, a student entrepreneur co-living incubator, where it was four student entrepreneurs living together. So we would feel less fear of missing out on Friday nights where we have our projects, which are for the betterment of our long-term lives and what we're really passionate about, uh, but we do want to go out. And so it was a way to get these people together and really work on our own priorities and our own projects. Um, that was such a cool year. We did it one year, um, had fantastic success. Um, one of the students that was there got his dream internship at Formula One. Um, and I'm super proud of him. He's already has his job confirmed once he graduates to work for literally any Formula One team he wants, Ferrari, um, literally whichever one he, he wants. Um, so that was a super cool experience. And that, while I was there, I pivoted um, study abroad student to a coaching, uh, coaching app or coaching company. And that was because I had done an internship with um, another podcaster named Rob Dial. He's the podcaster, it's called The Mindset Mentors, his podcast. I learned a bunch from him. He was a fantastic mentor. Uh, I started as, a, as an appointment setter with him um, and running his, working on his socials as well as Facebook and his, um, yeah, it was his Facebook account. So wait, you, and, now you're interning for the uh, podcaster and um, he's doing socials, things like that. Where are you? Are you still in San Francisco at the time? The Bay Area? No, so this is, I founded the Colgan Incubator yeah. in Madrid with, Oh, okay. So it was in Madrid that you founded it. Okay. Awesome. All right. Okay. We're not being clear there. Yeah. And so it was, it was actually this, uh, that summer was when I started working with Rob, um, and learning so much from him. And what I was selling was what I was helping him sell was a program to help coaches build their coaching business and actually get clients. Cause a lot of coaches can learn how to coach. They get a cool certification on John Maxwell or whatever it is. Uh, ICF, but they don't really know how to build a business around that and actually get clients for them to coach. And so to sell that, he had to give me access to it. It was, he was selling it um, for, I believe it was 6K and I did not have $6,000 to my name at that time. I was 19 years old, um, but I got access to that. And that was very, very valuable um, because I used that to pivot the student visa um, company study abroad student. And what I pivoted it to was, okay, 99% of students that are studying abroad in Spain, at least they're doing it to party, but that 1% that's doing it for personal development, I want to be a, a coach to help these people maximize their study abroad experience. So pivoted that company. And while at the Colibian Incubator, um, I think it was the first month of running that I got my first paying paid client at study abroad student. And you know, that feeling of the time you get your first 
actual client that pays you money for a service you're giving as an entrepreneur it's like a it's an incredible moment and it, i just i mean you, you know you're familiar with that feeling and so that was really what opened the doors for me of like wow now if i were to call myself an entrepreneur i wouldn't like it's real someone has paid me money i've given someone a service of value and delivered them a result and this is pretty cool i like this big boost and of confidence too because it's like i can do this right it's like that's an actual thing and uh, it it really changes how you view your future right absolutely and just seeing that i did that while i was in college without any degree it really showed me, wait, I, I thought I needed a college degree to be any professional value to anyone. What? But I just did this. And so it really just opened, opened my eyes to a lot of other opportunities that were out there um, and continued uh, that co-living incubator and running that company for the rest of the year. Um, and that was, that was interesting because that starting that company, I mean, you're probably very familiar with this there is no better education in business than starting your own company. And hundred percent things you'll never learn in books. Right. Exactly. And so learning everything from marketing sales, um, how to have a conversation with someone over a direct message on Instagram to book a call with them, then how to conduct yourself on the call with them to help them make the decision to go with you on study abroad and be coached by you. It was a huge learning experience that taught me a lot about business, sales, marketing, all that kind of stuff. Um, and at the end of that school year, I, I ended up um, getting a, a TED talk, which was ended up being how traumatic brain injuries could reveal more than they remove. And the um, it just fit really well with the the theme of the talk because the the theme was starting from scratch. So when I th I saw that theme, I was like. I got to apply for this. This is a really cool story, a really cool idea that I can share that hopefully will help others um, that have TBIs in the future. And a year later, like looking at some of the comments on that video, it's really cool to like see people that have had traumatic brain injuries, like saying, Hey, I needed this. Like this really helps me. That's there's some kind of fulfillment with that, that the money just can't, can't do. Um, so after that, um, I went back home for the summer and for the, the fall and I was doing university online, but because it was in Madrid, it was from midnight to 7am because Madrid was nine hours ahead of. <laughs> Never thought about that. Yeah. But my mom didn't see me studying. She thought I was doing nothing. I was just slacking off and, uh, call it tough love. But she said, Ryan, if you don't have a pain, a pain job by November 22nd, I'm kicking you out. And, you know, that talking to my, my uh, European friends about that, like, oh my God, what? That's, that's horrible. That's, that's, that's the culture in the US. Yeah, that's how America works. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, in Spain, they live with their parents until they're 28, sometimes, yeah. sometimes even older. Um, and so exactly, that's how America works. And that's what I got to tell them. Um, and so I applied to about 150 different jobs through LinkedIn. And I got the first one confirmed on November 21st, the day before I was going to be kicked out. 
And that was a huge feeling of relief. But it was an internship that paid $5 an hour. And because it was an internship, they could legally do that. Um, and they were really nice people. It was a really cool company. Um, but I didn't care how much money it was making. It was just as long as this is more than one cent, a, it will get me free rent and I'll be able to keep living, you know, in my family's home. And I was 20, 22 at the time. No, I was 21, excuse me. I was 21 at the time and got that job. And then two weeks later, another uh, company contacted me and offered me another gig. And then two weeks later, another company contacted me, contacted me and offered me another gig. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. I'm going to do all of them. And so I was doing three jobs at the same time. Um, the others were paying a little bit better than the $5 an hour. I think it was like a couple hundred, um, couple hundred dollars a month or a, like less than 2K a month total. Um, but it was a really cool experience. And I remember um, when I was applying to those 150 jobs at the beginning, I was just scheduling interviews, appointments, and um, I put one on the calendar for in, in November, as far out as I could put it out. I put it on January 7th was the calendar date that was the farthest in the future. Um, and that was for Digital Prodigy. And that call comes around on January 6th. And um, I'm working three jobs and going to school full time at night at that point. And I am just so burnt out. Like it took me two months to burn out with that lifestyle, which was obviously not sustainable. Um, and that call came and I looked at the phone when, uh, when Dinah called the, the founder of Digital Prodigy and I thought, okay, Ryan, you're working three jobs. You're in university full-time. You can't do another job. But worst thing that's gonna happen if you take this call is you lose 15 minutes of your time. Like, just do it, whatever. I took that call and I'm so, so glad I took that call um, because we had a fantastic conversation and um, ended up being part of Digital Prodigy. And um, that was in January and we brought it to um, seven figures in seven months and a lot of, a lot of things learned from it. And um, that brings us to- And how, how old are you now, right now? I, I'm 22 now. So, um, you know, you've had, more experiences in your first few life, uh, few years of mostly adult life, uh, than most adults have in their entire life. And, um, it's interesting to me because I found that people, you know, when I like had what happened to me like you did which by the way yours was so interesting i just have a million questions on that like you just forgot english started where you speak. but we i found some statistics um while i was living in the hospital system and uh, um uh, they were not good uh meaning that you know the bad thing that happened uh, to me as well as you and others well although that's bad um, what I learned was far worse. And it was the fact that after people got out and got better, um, that the rate of suicide was astronomical. The rate of divorce was crazy. The people couldn't hold jobs. They couldn't succeed in life anymore 
um, even if they could live and they seemed normal. And a, a lot of it had to do with the trauma associated with being hooked to tubes and what that does to individually, individuals mentally. Um, it causes uh, a lot of weird things happen and, and go on. And I remember in the hospital um, being terrified of this. And I remember uh, thinking, you know, before they let me out, I had to go under all of these uh, psychiatric things. And I, I was very confused by it at first because at first I was like, okay, well, yeah, you just want to make sure that I'm okay or whatnot, you know, just normal. And the, and the first question they asked me was, do you want to kill your children? And I was stunned. I was so shocked. I was like, I'm sorry, what did you just ask me, right? And, uh, you know, the question itself stunned me, but then more importantly, I was stunned with, why are you asking me that? Like, w there's obviously a reason, right? And as we went through a lot of things and trying to understand what my life would be like, right, in the future and understand more how and reading about these people that after they'd been on life support for so long and how they couldn't keep jobs, so they couldn't, I, I just remember looking outside and thinking, you know, there's going to be two things that come out of this uh, and only two. There's either going to be AJ in the wheelchair or a new AJ. And when I say AJ in a wheelchair, I don't mean that I was actually in a wheelchair. I, I mean, I could have been totally fine and running and, you know, capable, but it would have been AJ in this situation. I, I it, Like you said, the wheelchair didn't bother me. That didn't bother me. It was that I was a new person and that person was a, a, a different person that couldn't um, live a, a life that was good, right? And that terrified me. And so I had to make a decision right there because I knew, I was like, this is going to be a decision that you just have to make. And that decision was, are you going to be this new AJ, which I don't know what that is. And that's scary in itself, right? I'd lost my job. I'd lost everything. And, or are you going to be AJ in a wheelchair mentally, right? And it just became at that point, it was like, I'm not going to be that guy. I don't care what I have to do. I'll work every single day. And I found out that's fairly rare. Um, and I think one of the main reason is, is because people accept things very quickly. And I also found out that a lot of people, they don't ever walk again, largely due to the fact that they give up. They accept their new situation and they just stop. And they get put in a position, I think, where they have all the excuses in the world and they're legitimate. I don't mean that like, oh, they're just making up. No, they're 100% legitimate, right? Um, and they have to live a life that they never understood or designed that sucked. And it just, it, it overtook them, right? And I, when, you, when you've been through things like that, right, and you understand, it, it comes with a lot of respect for those that do what it takes to get out of it. Now, there's obviously situations where people, it, there's nothing, you, you're not coming back in mentally in a normal way at all. And that has nothing to do with them. That's not what I'm talking about, right? Um, but I just found that so many people, even though they came back physically and mentally okay, 
right? They, they could function, they could do everything right. They just couldn't continue on. So that's so inspiring to hear at such a young age, you going through things that um, physical problems are bad, but mental problems are a whole nother issue. And they're a whole nother issue for a lot of reasons, but mainly because you're the one that suffers. And to other people, they're not dealing with it. They don't understand it. And that just makes it that much harder, right? Like even after I got back, I found that it was harder when I got back physically and nobody could tell that there was a problem anymore was harder than when everybody knew that there was a problem because I couldn't walk right. I couldn't walk on my own, right? But then all of a sudden when I looked normal, yet I was dealing with 24-7 pain and fatigue and everything else. That was harder because it was like people thought that I was normal and I wasn't. And a lot of people don't think about that. They think, oh, you got in an accident and you're healed and you're okay, right? But actually most of the trauma and everything else like that comes after that. So your story is amazing to me and uh, you know, a real inspiration that you came right off that and all of a sudden took huge risks. You moved away, you started businesses, you did things that most normal people don't even do. And that was with all the shortcomings uh, that you'd received from the accident, right? And so, uh, you know, how was it for you to be able to, was that scary for you to think about and say, I'm going to go in and I'm going to try to do these things when you had these excuses to not? And probably, I'm assuming, everybody would have generally accepted it at that point. It would have accepted whatever excuse you laid in front of you because they were real. It wasn't an excuse that wasn't real. It was a real one, and people would have accepted it. And uh, how, how did you push yourself? How did you not let yourself right, fall into the excuses that we all have that are very real? So at first I did. 100% I did let myself fall to those excuses. And that was in the first few months out of the hospital um, when my brain was still, you know, very deep in recovery. Um, my perspective was I was this, this broken boy. My brain was broken. My body was broken. I deserved no respect. Like when people would talk to me in the streets, it was because they felt obligated. It's like patting an injured dog on the head, you know, like, oh, you'll be better, that kind of thing. Yep, 100%. You know how people talk to you. Exactly. Yeah. The exact same way. Right. And I started believing that, yep. that my perspective started to lean more, wait, if these guys are treating me like this, then I am this. Mm-hmm. And I started believing that I was this broken boy with the broken brain and the broken body. And... It wasn't until I realized just how negative a cycle this was bringing me down um, that I decided to make a change. And the way I realized that was I looked at this article um, that was about the accident and it had the photo and I scrolled down to the bottom and read the comments. And there was one comment that said that spoiled boy deserved it. And... That, are you familiar with the Bader-Meinhof syndrome? No, I'm not. So it's when you, um, like, it, it plays on the reticular activating system, and it's when you hear or see one thing, 
and you start seeing that thing and hearing that thing a lot more often because you're paying attention to that. Um, like if like, you buy a new car and it's a red car, then you see red cars everywhere. Precisely, right. And so I saw that one person say that. And then I started thinking everybody was Not thinking. That. And that pat they were doing on the head was in with the thought in the back of the head of, you messed up, you're broken, you deserved it. And it was when I started thinking everyone was having this opinion of me. At this point, I was, you know, my, my brain was still very, very moldable, like very yeah. easily susceptible to other people's opinions, what other people said, all these kinds of things. It was, you know, still really, really needed a lot of recovery. Yes. And so it wasn't until that got so bad that I realized, okay, Ryan, you got to change this up. Something's got to change because this is not helping you at all. And um, then one Friday night, I stayed in and I just thought about it the entire night of what did, what's going on? What did I do wrong? What, what do I want to change? Like a six hour long, like self therapy session. And um, I woke up the next day and my perspective totally changed. It was, yeah, I was that boy with the broken brain and the broken body but I recovered. I forgot how to speak English and I learned it again. I forgot how to walk and I learned it again. I had all this happen and I still was able to graduate high school on time. And my biggest insecurity that night turned into my biggest source of confidence. And then moving forward, every time I was taking a, you know, a risk, which starting a business, sure it's a risk, but at age 19, 18, if you start a business and it fails, you don't have kids that yeah. are depending on you. You don't have a mortgage. You got to pay. Um, so it really wasn't that big of a risk at all. And every time I would make a decision to do something like that, I would think, wait, if I could figure out how to go through all of this and recover from all of this, then why can't I start a business? It can't be that much harder than learning how to walk at age 17, learning how to speak English at age 17, having eight screws drilled into your skull and feeling them being drilled out without any anesthesia. Like if I could do that, then a business can't be all that hard in comparison to start. And of course, starting a business is very, very difficult. Don't get me wrong, but it was with that perspective to answer your question that I pushed through taking those risks was comparing it to if I could recover from that, then why can't I do this? You know, it's, I, I think that's in general, what, what we have is you have two choices. Um, you can use the things that happened to you for good or bad. doesn't matter either one. You can use them as um, ways to, help you you can try to use them to be a part of your story and a ways to take you to the next level or you can use them to take you down and that's any kind of trauma i don't care it's like you know your parents are divorced things like that um you know i even like uh growing up and everything i think there we all have these narratives that we tell one of the things that i i was really grateful for 
I think, in the hospital was it broke a lot of my narratives. Um, and a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people will never be able to break certain narratives that they have, right? I think, like, a narrative uh, that I had, it was like, you, you know, like, I I imposter syndrome. Like, you don't deserve what you have, and it's not because of you. And the whole thing, idea of just, like, you've had so many opportunities, and you're so lucky, right? You deserved what happened to, to your spoiled boy kind of thing. That's exactly, right? And that was not having anything happen to me. And that was after working two, three jobs for decades and still saying, geez, I don't, you know, I probably don't deserve this. I got a lot of lucky breaks and different things like that. Well, after the hospital, uh, I don't know why, but that just, that narrative kind of broke, or maybe it's I didn't care. One of the two, not sure which, but um, I, I'm very, very grateful for that because I'm happier and I'm way more pleased with my accomplishments in life, right? And things like that. Now, like you said before, would you take all the broken bones, everything? Like that? Obviously, I don't want it. I still have to, you know, I deal with pain every single day, I, nonstop. I'm on pain meds 24-7. I have to think about every step that I take. I have fatigue. I, it, it, I lost five years of quality time with my kids. Like, legitimately, I'd sleep weekends and I'd sleep nights. And that was to try to make enough effort to go to work. And um, so, of course, I don't want that. Of course, that's nobody wants those kind of things in life. Um, and it's like, I often wonder why, you know, why couldn't I have come to that realization before? Why did I waste everything that I had prior, you know? Um, but I think that the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you had an event or haven't had an event, you have those two options. We all do. We either get to take what we have, be proud of it, use it, and move forward, and we get to take the good, th the, the good things and the bad things, we get to take it, learn from it, right, and move forward from it. We, I think we em embrace, like, we put so much guilt on ourselves. Everybody does. It's like we either feel guilty or we feel that we are, um, like, uh, we feel that we are uh, what's the word for it? We're traumatized or, or we can't succeed because of something. It's like, there's always this thing. It doesn't matter what side of the coin you're on. You're, right? you're either the victim or you're the um, uh, person that's, uh, you know, shouldn't have what they have. You have that guilt, guilty feeling. I think that's so funny as humans. It's like, there tends to not ever be this middle ground where it's like, okay, I'm not a victim. But at the same time, I'm not any kind of oppressor and I shouldn't be I shouldn't feel bad about what I have. And I also shouldn't feel bad about maybe what I don't have. Like it, it's like we all fall on one side or the other. And that's a mental thing that kills us. And I'm really you know, it's been one of my big concerns that as I've healed and, and that I'll fall back into that out of a place of gratitude and get into these weird games that we play. And I think one of the large reasons that so many of us fall into it today is because of what happened to you online. Some rando that's done nothing in their life that you would never in a million years like, be friends with, or respect said something about you. And that because your brain doesn't know the difference, right? You don't know the person. They may be the most successful, admirable person in the world to you. 
or not. You don't know. So your brain just interprets it that way. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people, that's what happened. They know that's what happens with me. And it's like, how do you make sure, though, that you don't fall into those trappings, that you don't fall into victim mode, that you don't feel like you don't deserve things and that you can put, put, uh, put forward? It's like you had this shock that, like, hit you. And it was like you made that choice and then you took it and you're using it right now today. Do you, how, how, how do you make sure you don't fall back into a life that you take for granted and that you don't live to the fullest potential? And I mean, I'm asking for me. It's been five years for me now. And now it's not visibly available that anything ever happened to me at all, right? Which I'm obviously have been working very hard for. I'm extremely grateful. But that also, as it gets farther away, I think the less I remember and take away good things from it. And that's not good. I don't want to do that. How do you do that? The one thing that, whether it's real or not, it's just a thing I choose to do which has really, really motivated me to continue and continue in moments that normally you wouldn't want to continue. Um, it was the perspective that this happened for a reason. I was, mm -hmm. I was partying a lot that summer before. I was not motivated. I just wanted to finish senior year and go to a party school and, you know, do whatever, do there, just not focus on more important things in life. And with the perspective that whether it's God, universe, um, you know, call it whatever you want to call it, um, it was, it, it saw the patterns that, you know, I was on and it was like, Ryan, what are you doing, man? And it gave me that, like, slap in the face, that wake-up call, because it knew, like, you can do way, way better in life, way better than what you're doing. You can help so many people, but not in this way. We know you have potential, but you're on a path that's not going to be able to make the most of that potential, so wake up and do something about it. So to answer your question, it's the perspective that it happened for a reason. And like you help so many people with the self storage businesses that previously would have had no idea how to do it. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why you're still around kicking, whether it's your kids, the people you're helping. Like I, I even saw you at the, uh, I saw you at the future flipper mastermind in Vegas. Oh yeah. Back. Yeah. And I saw your story on the stage. I had never heard of you before, but when you told your story, I was like, Oh my God, I would have never expected someone to have such a specific thing in common to have with this person. And it was incredible to, to hear that story. And honestly, I took it as a sor another source of motivation too, to see you go through that just as I went through that and then see where you are now. Um, so you honestly were another thing that motivated me. Same with Jim Quick. Are you familiar with who Jim Quick is? No, I'm not. Let's see. So he's, um, he's a brain coach. He's the author of Limitless. Um, he, he works a lot on the efficiency of the brain and I was reading his book Limitless and in the first chapter it talks about how he got started and it was when he was 
nine years old, he was in a classroom, and there was like an ambulance or a fire truck driving by, and he went over to the window as any nine-year-old would to go look at it, and he went up on the chair on like the desk, and he was going up there, and the fire truck comes by, and he trips, and he falls over, and he has a traumatic brain injury, which sets him on a completely different life path. He has to figure out how to learn in a different way because his brain has been rewired, and that led him to help other people operate their brain. And so, you know, seeing people like you and Jim Quick, um, and the things that I'm doing is, they just inspire me to, to see all these things happen. And so to answer your question, there's a reason you, you, you were born not, you're still around. That's how I chose to continue and continue motivating myself to move forward. Well, and what you just said right there is, I think, um, really extremely important, and that's you chose, right? So there is a big difference in um, abilities or, um, right, um, the like it, it was a choice that you made as opposed to a situation being. You made the choice to say that there's a reason. And like whether people are viewing it and they're like, well, I don't know if there's a reason or not. I always look at them because I believe that there is a reason. I do. I believe that. I believe that there's reasons for what happens, but what we do with it is our choice. And there, you know, some people may be like, well, I don't believe it. I'm like, well, you don't have to believe it, but you can still make the choice to live your life that way. Right. And that dramatically changes people. Are you just going to become a victim that says, this is just the school of hard knocks or this is not school of hard knocks. This is just life hitting me down. There's no reason for it at all. And my life just sucks. Right. Or are you going to do something for it? Say, there's a reason I'm going to utilize this in my life and the life of others. And, you, you know, I think that that's, that's powerful. It's powerful in all our lives. It's when you are, is there a reason when you wake up, you do what you do? If not, which I think actually the vast majority of people, there's not. I think 99% of most people live on programmed day-to-day um, -day living. In fact, you know, I, I believe that so much that I actually incorporate that into my own life. Meaning if I believe that people do that, First of all, I believe that I'm no real different. That means I have to construct things in my life that are I'm my my programming around and my built-in situational programming leads to desired outcomes, right? So it's like, all right, well, I'm going to set up situations that create systems that I'm doing all the time that program me to have that outcome because I, I want to. It's about utilizing those things as opposed to not. Um, I just think that's that's amazing. It's amazing perspective for having someone uh, be so young, right? And looking at opportunities and what you can do and what you're going to create in life, as opposed to, you know, you're you're 22. Like the vast majority of people at your age, they care nothing except for Friday night, right? And making the next buck, uh, uh, you know, to do whatever it is. And uh, you've been given a an incredible gift that most people would say that is not a gift, right? It was, you know, 
whatever. It's just a bad thing. It's terrible. It's down because of it. And viewing your situation. I, I love stoic reading, right? So learning about uh, the stoics and how they viewed and perceived life. And it's just always this idea that is it good or bad? Well, neither. It is what it is, right? And how am I utilizing and how am I acting within the situation that it is? So, um, you know, it's taking control of things that you can control when you live in a life of which, you know, I mean, 33, I all of a sudden became completely out of control of everything, my own bodily functions, right? And it's like, okay, really drilling into the little things that I can try to control became the mode of my every single day actions, right? It was, what can I control? Can I control my finger? Can I control my arm, right? Can I control my breathing? Can I control, you know, it's just like little things, right? Um, it's, that's just absolutely powerful. So I, I got to ask you though, um, uh, Spanish, you didn't speak it fluently before you went in, right? So you, this wasn't like you were a fluent Spanish speaker your whole entire life. And then it's like your brain picked one language that you were both fluently and you were an English speaker that grew up in the Bay area. You knew Spanish and then your brain chose that language. More or less. Um, so it was, I grew up speaking only English, um, but I did be in California. They gave us Spanish class since third grade through um, 10th grade. And after 10th grade, I, I did a program. Um, it's called Amigos de las Americas. And I lived in Mexico for two months. Um, and my, honestly, my motivation to do it was I was a year behind in Spanish class from all my friends and I wanted to get caught up to them. And I heard, oh, if I do this for two months, I'll skip a year of Spanish. And I went for two months and that two months got me to skip an entire year of school Spanish because of what I learned. And then the next summer is when the car accident happened. And because I had that Spanish language in my short-term memory, it wasn't like I was speaking it well. Yeah. It was just the only thing I could speak. I couldn't produce in English. Um, but one thing that when, when you were talking in Vegas in Mandalay Bay that I, I empathize with was, and what you just mentioned, when you were talking about like moving the connection from your brain all the way down to a toe and just being able to move a toe with your brain and then you move that toe and you try another toe then you try a foot. That was something that, that I definitely empathized with, um, that I, you know, wasn't able to mention to you when, when you were speaking, obviously, but it's, yeah. it was a very, uh, very specific thing that was cool to go through, um, difficult, but obviously provided, uh, an ROI, if we can, we can put it that way. It, it's amazing how much our brain does that we just take totally for granted. 100% totally. I, I would absolutely say that. And aren't you more aware of these things that you were taking for granted now? Jeez, yeah. Like, right. I mean, it's actually funny because sometimes I totally forget. Like, I'll wake up some mornings and I get myself out of bed because I, I wake up because of pain. So um, I go for so long during the night, right, because I don't have my medicine. So every morning I wake up in life, I wake up in pain. And so I wake up and I get on the edge of my bed and I take my feet onto the ground 
and it uh, try to stand up. It hurts, and I start to think about, okay, move right foot, look left foot. I'm like, look at the things in front of me. I don't want to trip, right? And some days I'll be like, I didn't do this. Like, this, is, this didn't used to happen, right? It, it used to be, I would wake up, do whatever I wanted to do at the time, and my brain just did it. It, it, there was no pain. There was no having to think through simple processes. It just did it. And I'm like, wow, our brain's awesome. That, that's how it works. It just does things that we want it. And it sounds silly, but it's incredible. And uh, like, I forget that it used, you know, that it, it used to be like that. Um, and uh, I think we focus so much inherently on the bad in life that we just forget how incredible life is. Like the odds that you live today in today's society, that you are a normal functioning human being, the leg up you have on life is so incredible. It's not even funny. Like people think like we have it so bad today. It's like everything's so bad. The world's going to hell in a handbasket and everything. I'm like compared to when name any time in history, I mean, you're talking about a period of time that, like, we, the, the wars that we even have are just nothing compared to what they were. We, we're at the lowest point in civilian murders through combat and um, everything else than we've ever had ever in history by far. I mean, it's like, it's just so amazing what we have, what we can do, yet it's so interesting that mentally our society's just gone. Like we have never had more suicides. We've never had more depression. We never have more mental illnesses. We've never had more stress on the home and the family. Um, we've never had more people that think negatively. And it's like, that's so interesting to think about because never before have we had it so good, yet never before have we been in a period where uh, people think that it's so bad. And uh, I, I think that says a lot about us. And I think that's also says a lot about how, why you and why others that overcome or have hard things that happen to them, um, they do so well and they, they overcome and they can grow and they can do it if they put their mind to it. Um, at the end of the day, I think we're built for struggle and not having struggle does a really harmful thing to our brains. Not hurting, not fighting, not having purpose will yeah. literally drive us insane. And I think that's happening. We have it too easy and we've had it too easy for too long and we've forgotten what struggle really looks like. We forgot what pain really looks like. I mean, we live in a day and age where it's considered aggressions if someone calls you by something you don't want to be called by. That is so ridiculously asinine stupid. It's like, you're not being killed and raped. You're not like, you have everything you could. We've never had so subsidies like we have it. it, it it's just, it, we just have it so freaking good. And that's causing so many mental problems. Right. I, and I, talking to people from different places around, around the world, um, being in Madrid, just there's a lot of people from, from all over the world here. Um, some things I took for granted being born in the US, being a native English speaker, that was one. Like globally, that is a huge ticket to life. 
Exactly, exactly. And I didn't even realize how much of an advantage and positive thing that was to just be born with being yeah. in the US. I lived and in Brazil. And in, in Brazil, if you, if, if you spoke English, you were literally handed a, the ticket. It was like, exactly. I mean, parents, what they would do to have their kids be English speakers. It meant yeah. you got jobs. It meant you got, like, it, it's a ticket to life. And right. we're just born into it. Don't even think about it. Yeah. And then one other friend uh, I was talking to, um, he mentioned this thing to me. And he was from, um, from I believe it was either, I think it was Kenya. Um, and met him my first year of university here. And he was telling me how, like, dude, it seems like no matter where humans are, they're just going to find problems in what is going on with them, whether it's, yeah. you know, where I'm from and we're worried about like, Hey, how are we going to get food next week? Um, where we got to go to hunt or whether it's like what you said, whose people's words are offending me and who can I get mad at no matter where people are, as far as safety, it seems like, and based on what he said and from what you said, humans are always going to find a way to find a problem. Um, yep. if they have that perspective. Um, but people in Brazil are so much happier than people in America and they had nothing. I mean, I, I didn't live in a nice area. I lived in favelas and we would flush the toilet with a bucket of water. It, that went out in the street. Right. And they were just so much happier. They're just like, listen, you know what? Life is good. Can you believe we have it so well? And you're like, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I saw a guy get shot down the street, but yeah, you're right. It's amazing. And then I got back to America and it was just like, holy crap, we are spoiled, literally rotten. Like the people, what they complained about and what they thing. It, I, I was, I did not like it at all. I got back and I'm like, oh geez, I don't really like you people. Like it was just like, they were so much happier there. They were so much better. They loved each other. And it was like, they were all so grateful. And uh, you know, it's like, yeah, you choose your heart. Sounds like you had some reverse culture shock going back to the U.S. Yes. Years being there, it was it was quite a culture shock. So, um, How long you? It was two years. Lived there two years down there. Just spoke Portuguese, no English at all. Didn't come home, nothing, ever. Uh, lived down there. So I didn't speak English, um, and it was wonderful. I loved it. Best time of my life. Um, incredible people. Really hard to see what's going on down there now. Um, but... Um, hey man, I, I, I could literally talk to you all day, but I actually, speaking of medical, so I have to go get IVs and I have to head to the doctors, everything else like that. So, uh, before, before we jump off here, please tell everybody where they can find, uh, more about you, where they can learn about you, where, where should people go? For sure. So I have, uh, I would say for business LinkedIn, Ryan Brady, um, for just casual connection, I would say Instagram, Ryan Brady four is a good Instagram to reach me at. Um, and then if it's for business, um, regarding a mobile app, whether you're a coach, author, speaker, um, you have an app you want built, whether that's a blockchain web three app, a native build app, or a, a SaaS app, we do, um, all three, um, that would be digitalprodigy.com with a double E at the end, not a Y. Um, they could also find digital prodigy on Instagram and, um, pretty much every social um, and there are links to schedule times to, to chat with us on those socials. So that would be how they could get a um, get in contact with me and our team. Hey, man, it was so awesome to get to know you. 
uh, absolute pleasure. Uh, you're killing it. I just look, you have so much life ahead in front of you and you're just going to do amazing things. And I look forward to seeing it. Thank you for telling your story and spending your time with uh, me here today, man. I appreciate it. I know our audience does. Thanks for having me, AJ. It was a really cool conversation. We'll talk soon.